Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We're going to be delving into the fourth line of the Ha'azinu poem. I happen to be a big fan of the Ha'azinu poem. I like poetry. I like that Ha'azinu packs a big punch uh, in very few words and manages to do what a lot of our blessings and curses partiote. I can never decide if I like parashote or parashote better. It does a better job packing a punch with these than fully uh, fully prosaic parshas do. But at the beginning of Ha'azinu, we're just in the territory of Moshe praising the type of divine being and creator with whom he wants to leave his people in relationship. Moshe wants to leave his people, Moshe's people, in relationship with God. And he's pointing out the characteristics of God. He's continuing to give God names. He's framing God. Framing not as in like, you know, framing him for a crime, but framing the divine, giving a framework for the type of divine presence that God is going to be in their practical lives because we are moving into a time canonically, historically, and literarily as you follow the history of the Jews after Deuteronomy when the Jews are going into the land as led by Yehoshua and they're going to be dealing as a people, but they are still intended to be in relationship with the divine. It's a mirror image of the two types of judgment. And this is the subject of our interest today of the two types of judgment and the two types of relationship with which we concern ourselves at this time of year during Elul and particularly during the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, these 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That is the horizontal and the vertical, which are metaphorical axes on which we relate to our human siblings, right? the people who live around us, whom we have to treat with and deal with respectfully, and also the relationship that we have with the divine. Metaphorical, because we don't strictly relate to human beings as being lateral to us and God as being exactly above, but you see what I mean, right? The, the vertical and the horizontal axes. But this is what Moshe is dealing with, too. Moshe is doubly preparing the people as he's getting ready to leave them. He's preparing them to create a just society, and he's preparing them to be and stay 
in relationship with the divine, even though he, as the conduit so often, right? Vayomer Adonai El Moshe, Vida Ber Moshe, right? So often have we read this. He's been the conduit, but he wants the people to be in relationship. Okay, so we're going to look at this verse four, and we're going to look at this one piece that our tradition and interpreters of our tradition have wrestled with understanding because Moshe puts forward an idea in this poem about who God is as a judge, as a shofet, even though he doesn't use this word. That's kind of troubling, especially as we look down, stare down the day of Yom Kippur in just a few days. And we really can grapple with this in live, real, approaching Yom Kippur time as we look at the many commentaries that our tradition has gone through on this very verse. Hatsur Tamim Poalo. Hatsur, the rock. As I said before, Sur Yisrael, Kuma Bezrat Yisrael. Sur is not just rock, it's a name that's given to God in the Torah here, in other places biblically and poetically and liturgically. Tamim Po'alo. The things that God acts upon are tamim. They are perfect and whole. Tamim is the word that opens a wormhole for so many people that bothers, that itches at the brains and the hearts of so many of our ancestors. What do you mean God is perfect? Let's keep going in the verse. Ki kol mishpat. And they take this next bit as an expansion upon that word tamim, because ki either means when or because, and it probably means because in this verse, kol all of God's ways, their ways, mishpat. Mishpat can mean judgment, but as an adjective mean just, as a noun can also be justice. And then a secondary thought, El Emunah Ve'en Avel. He is in El Emunah. Like either that's a name for God. God, the God is God Emunah, right? El Emunah. Does that sound like a, a name of a synagogue to you? It sounds like a name of a synagogue to me. El Emunah. We could start a synagogue called El Emunah, Right. If, if uh, Mozambique needs a, comp- you always need two shuls, right? The one you go to, the one you don't go to. So Larry, if Mozambique needs the one that they don't go to, we can name it El Amuna. The Ain Avel, that can be the third shul. And there's no fa- falsehood, which is probably just a teak bullet. It's just saying the same thing, but saying it in the inverse. Sadiq via Sharhu. What is God? God is Sadiq is righteous, which is interesting because we don't typically refer to God as tzaddik, right? Tzaddik is typically a a humanity-correlated word in the Bible. Just take my word for that. It is. And yeshar, straight. 
we're really going to dig into those first two lines. What does it mean for God to be tamim in Poalo? What does it mean for God to be perfect in God's ways? Something about mishpat, something about God's judgment is perfect. And this bothers people. Who does this bother? This bothers me. Anyone else bothered by this? How could God's judgment be perfect? Absolutely bothers me. This particularly bothers me, I'm sure, because I grew up in a country that has an appeals system in the, in its courts, right? I grew up with fallible judges or believing that courts and judgments could be fallible, that we set up checks and balances in our system because perhaps someone could be wrong. And even if I believe in a perfect divine, I struggle with the idea that God is tamim b'po'alo b'mishpat, that justice is executed perfectly because I look at the world around me and I struggle to see that justice is happening even on a divine level. And I'll spare the examples for the moment because I think that you're going to see the grappling that people did with these verses over time. Remember that our commentators are humans just like us in the verses ahead, in the commentaries ahead. Who would like to read for us our 11th to 13th century school of Rashi? In the English is just fine with me. Someone read for us Rashi on this, trying to understand Hatsur Tamim. Someone read us the Rashi, please. Gary and Marlies. Um, okay. The Rock, his work is perfect. Although he is strong, Hatsur? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Yet when he brings punishment upon those who transgress his will, he does not bring it in a flood of anger, but in deliberate judgment because uh, uh, Tamim Alo, his work is perfect. Great. Okay. Marlise, I'm going to parse this in, uh, in give, give you a lens of view into what I think is happening with Rashi's school in this moment. If you read enough rabbinic literature, you learn that ha before a noun often turns that thing into a question. So let let's read <laughs> let's read that hatsur for a moment, which it's funny it gets stuck there. You read it beautifully inside the English translation. Hatsur isn't God this big strong rock of a god? Right? God, Hatsur? God is this this big, strong rock. Couldn't God, remember God holding the mountain over Israel's head? Couldn't God just be a rock and slam punishment down upon us? And yet, when God brings punishment upon those who are transgressors to God's will, God doesn't bring it in a flood of anger. Maybe Kimba Dean, because he's Tamim Poalo. He could bring in a flood of anger, but he does it like a judge. God could just God could just continue to open up the earth, right? We don't see that again nowadays though. We don't see people swallowed up by earth most of the time. What does God do? God does it like a judge. So Rashi's explanation on this is Hatsur. God is a rock, but his ways are perfect. And then he sees the next verse as the explanation of his ways being perfect. That is, 
Kol derachav mishpat, all of his ways that see colon his ways of doing mishpat. God executes divine judgment in such such kindly ways, given what God could be doing. Right? God could be just lightning bolting people left and right. See Greek mythology, right? But that's not what God chooses to do. Okay, we may or may not like this explanation for what Sur Tamim Poelo is and why that's a Tamim explanation for Mishpat. Let's go to the next piece, which is from Ta'anit. It's from, it's from the Bavli, Babylonian Talmud. And let's have somebody else read this either in the, this happens to be almost Hebrew. Uh, so you could read in the Hebrew or in the English, whichever somebody's more comfortable doing. Either from El Amuna or from the Brita cites another verse. I can do it, but then you just have to listen to my voice more. Uh, if you can screen share, unfortunately, my laptop overheated and I don't, on the iPad, I can't really see it well enough. That's okay. I'm sorry that I can't do that because uh, I'm not doing that on Shabbat itself. Oh, got but it. Sorry about in that. In the future. Sorry that I asked. Sorry. That's okay. I'm, gla- I'm glad you asked because I would love to have you participate. In the future, we will call upon you to participate. Um, so I, I, I will read forward here. El Amuna Ve'en Avel. That's that piece straight from the verse. So that's later in our verse, the second part of the verse. God is a God of, of faithfulness. Ve'en Avel. I'm reading from here because the stuff in bold in the translation, that's actually in the Talmud. The rest is added by the translator to try to help it make sense. The Brita cites another verse that deals with judgment. That's El Amuna Ve'en Avel. A God of faithfulness and without falseness or without iniquity. He is just and righteous. That's our verse. The Brita interprets El Amuna, a God of faithfulness, to mean that just as punishment is exacted from the wicked in Olam Haba, in the world to come, even for a light transgression. Got it? So wicked people get punished in the next world, even if they transgress a tiny bit. So too, punishment is exacted from the righteous in this world for a light transgression that they commit. Why? The translator adds the explanation here. So that the righteous suffer their punishment in this world to purify them so they can enjoy Olam Haba, they can enjoy the world to come. So what makes God such a good executor of judge of, of justice in in the view of the rabbis editing the Talmud here? What what makes God such a great executor of justice if God punishes the wicked in the world to come, even for a light transgression, but righteous people get punished in this world? Brant? Well, he's to me the way I interpret this is that he know since nobody is truly wicked and nobody is truly righteous that he both exacts something from the wicked and he exacts something from the righteous, so that you know uh, uh, 
and, and, it, and it's in God's time. It's not necessarily in man's time, which is why we're so troubled by the fact that that wicked people aren't punished, you know, more in our in our in front of our own eyes. We, we all know wicked people in our lives who don't seem to suffer. We know righteous people who who suffer. We have all these. That's why we sometimes doubt the existence of God. But the, but the reality is we're all a little bit righteous. We're all a little bit wicked. And God's able to, to, to dice through that dichotomy of people that they have the evil side and the, and the righteous side so that we both get rewarded and punished. Bingo. I think that's the, the brilliance of this theology, Brant, is that it's an explanation for people, for people watching others who they, whom they perceive as being righteous suffer and watching others whom they perceive as wicked not suffering. This is a, a helpful explanation. How could God possibly be meeting out justice well, let alone perfectly, if we're watching righteous people suffer in this world and, and wicked people seem not to suffer? Ah, well, righteous people are suffering now so that they can eternally enjoy the world to come. And the wicked people, they're not going to enjoy the next world at all, because even for the light transgressions, they're going to suffer. So, yes, I, I agree. I agree. I think that that's a meaningful way of dealing, whether it's a good way of dealing with it. I think it's a meaningful and reasonable way of, of, uh, of dealing with those, um, with those questions that we have that, like you said, sometimes make us doubt the existence of God. Yeah. Um, was there someone else who had something on that? Gary, did you want to add something? My voice continued. No, it, it made sense. It's just, we just, we're not smart enough to know what's going to happen. And that's, I don't like the, the rationale and that stuff, but I can understand it from that standpoint that we don't know. And we can understand that the rich, the, um, the evil, evil continues. Evil will get to re- respond in the next world. We believe strongly enough in the next world, that's going to Right. So we don't know what's coming. We have no proof of that. But if you believe strongly enough in it, perhaps that's helpful to you to believe that in the next world, something's coming to those who deserve reward and those who deserve punishment. That's very uh, insightful. Thank you, Gary. Let's go to the Datsakanim and their perspective, uh, their school of thought on what makes God such a perfect judge. Okay, so this is another take on God's chazakness. This is another take on God's strength as judge and God's restraint. Hatsur tamim po'alo. The rock, God's work is perfect. It's only fair that you'll acknowledge God's greatness, that you give him godel, seeing that God is unshakably strong, and therefore whatever God has created is perfect. Moreover, he doesn't display anger. When facing those who are bent to make him display his anger. So what is it about God who make, that makes him so great as a judge and a, and a giver of justice that he's able, that God is able to set anger in a different bucket and a different category 
than deserving of justice and what is justice. How many of us wrestle and struggle? In fact, how many of us see it as an ultimate human flaw? I certainly do. That it feels impossible to separate anger from punishment when we are in a place of power, when we are in a position of power. What the Dat Zakenim say is, God is Hatsur, God is Chazak. God could come and display God's wrath, but whatever God has created is perfect, and therefore God does not confuse wrath with justice. Dayenu, if I could have a little droplet of that in this year to come, that in any environment in which I am in a seat of power and I find myself needing to hand out consequences for something that takes place, that I am able to separate my anger from the setting out of a pathway of justice for somebody. That is tough. And so to see that as divine perfection is to understand the difference between divinity and humanity when it comes to justice. I happen to favorite that one. That That is a big favorite of mine because I see that as a human and divine divide. At least one more. Let's get to the Mesilat Yesharim before we have to wrap and we may get to one last one on the final page. We'll see. All this is evident and clear for God is the God of truth as Moshe Rabbeinu, peace be upon Moshe. I love the way that the Mesilat Yesharim speaks said, Atzor, Tamim Po'alau, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and right is he. For since the Holy One, blessed be God, desires justice, to ignore the bad would be just as much an injustice as to ignore the good. Therefore, if it is justice that God desires, then God must pay each person according to their ways and according to the fruits of their deeds to absolute exactness, whether for good or for bad. Thus, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and right is God, which our sages of blessed memory explained. For this is the trait of mishpat, of justice. God judges on everything. He punishes every sin and there is no escape. Now that end piece sounds like the curse that you should go to sleep with on your rumbling tummy on the eve of Yom Kippur after going home from Kol Nidre and Slichot and Vidui. But I see this as a comforting theology as well. Where's the comfort in this theology? It's this idea that in order for us to understand justice in this world as being complete, we cannot allow ourselves to hope that God would overlook the light sins of the righteous or even the good in this world. Because what makes God perfect in God's mishpat, in God's justice in this world, is that everything gets passed under God's 
shepherding Cain, right? We all pass before God and all of our deeds pass before God. And if our little things didn't get seen, then so too might the little things of that other person who should be seen as well. No one gets overlooked. Everyone gets judged for everything. That is fairness and justice in the world. How many of us have had the experience of first frustration with a teacher, a coach, a boss, somebody else being in a position of power who has frustrated us by holding us accountable for minor misdeeds or minor mistakes on our part, but then as part of a larger picture, seen the fairness of that leader's perspective because we see that they hold everybody accountable in the system and then found gratitude in that system. There's frustration in that system, but there's so much fairness in that system too. And the hopefulness that lies therein is the hopefulness that there is ultimate fairness. There is no favoritism. Every one of us comes before God. Every one of us is seen. Our little things, our big things, nothing escapes. We are just present. Can we sneak one last one in? One last text? One last source? Great. Let's get one last one from Shmirat HaLashon. I'm going to ask that we skip partially down the page. And we're going to get to the uh, part of the page that says, but certainly the creator of man. We'll go right to the English since we're short on time. But certainly the creator of man put it in the power of each and every Jew that if only... If he only puts his eyes and his heart to his ways, he can avoid this. That is speaking Lashon Hara, which is the topic of this chunk of Shmirata Lashon. As we find in Sifre, in Parshat Hazinu, which is an ancient Midrash on Parshat Hazinu, God, God is a God of trust without wrong. That is, God did not create men to be Rishaim, but to be Tzadikim. I'm going to repeat that. God did not create human beings to be evil, to be bad, but rather God created us to be Tzadikim. For if not so, there is wrong, God forbid, in the ordinance of the Blessed One and the punishment that God meets out to them afterwards. This is the final thought, and this is what makes God a fair and perfect judge. This is what Shmirat HaLashon is saying, here's what would be unfair. What would be unfair is if God created us to be wicked people and then came along and punished us for being wicked. But the Shmirat HaLashon says, that's not the case. God created us with plenty of yetzer, plenty of urge to do all sorts of things and free will to do all sorts of things. But God created us to be tzadikim. God created us to be righteous. And that's what makes the justice fair. And it's also what gives us the opportunity to face next year and promise that we can be our better selves because God created us with the possibility and the hope to return to the selves that God made us to be such that we can be those tzadikim that God is hoping and wanting us to be. The mishpat is there 
as not just a consequence, but like a shepherd with their tools to hook us back in and to bring us back underneath God's guidance to say, come back, Sadiqim, come back, righteous ones. I didn't create you to be wicked. I created you to be righteous. So justice is there to return us to our true selves, to return us to the righteousness that was intended to be our resting state, the goodness, the potential for goodness that exists within all of us. I don't intend to leave this resolved for any of you, not any of you who are listening live or anybody who listens to this on the podcast later. These are perspectives on God and God's mishpat. And I also leave it open-ended in a way that hopefully allows you to see that it is the custom and the tradition of Jews to wrestle with God's perfection as judge. It's hard. It's hard to imagine God as the perfect judge. But these are all doorways and windows, at least, to the possibility that there is perfection within justice in this world, that there are perspectives out there that might allow us to see ourselves as potential tzadikim, to see God as a God of restraint, and to see the world out there as one in which fairness abounds cosmically. And I hope that that gives you a sense of hope leading towards this next Yom Kippur. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.